The John Morris Show, episode 66. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. You'll never have the sacred stone. <laughs> oh, this you crazy mother... You are now listening to The John Morris Show. My name is John Morris, Army veteran turned freelance web developer. And each week I bring you a fresh look into the latest news, advice, and next steps for the self-made web designer and developer to help you reach your dream of coding for a living faster. Thanks for giving me some of your time today. Now, let the episode begin. I'm super excited to say that this episode is sponsored by TopTal. Now, finding and hiring talented developers is really hard. Not to mention, after the large piles of resumes and profiles you have to sift through, once you find a reasonable candidate, it's difficult to evaluate a developer's skill unless you're a developer yourself. But TopTal makes it easy. TopTal is a large network of the top 3% of software developers in the world. And to be accepted, applicants go through a rigorous screening process that tests technical expertise, problem-solving ability, communication skills, and more. And the acceptance rate is just 3%. TopTal's team of engineers meets with you to understand your needs and handpicks just a few developers from their network for you according to your needs. Once you interview a developer, you can start working with them on a full-time, part-time, or hourly basis for as long as you need. It's very flexible. In fact, they've been so successful that they offer a no-risk trial period for all engagements. If you're not satisfied, you don't pay. And thousands of companies, including Airbnb, JP Morgan, Zendesk, and more, have turned to TopTal when they need developers because TopTal allow them to hire rapidly, with confidence, and hire only the best. So go to johnmorrisonline.com slash TopTal, that's T-O-P-T-A-L, today to start working with top-tier developers. John Morris Show listeners will receive one week of TopTal development credit and a no-risk trial period for up to two weeks. So go to johnmorrisonline.com slash TopTal now to sign up. Oh, and for all my developer friends, this is a network you want to be on. Forget having to compete with millions of other developers in those open networks. Get on TopTal and place yourself in the top 3% of software developers in the world and let the projects come to you. You can visit johnmorrisonline.com slash TopTal and click on the Apply as a Freelancer button to get started. Hey everybody, welcome back to the John Morris Show. I'm your host, John Morris, and this is episode 66. Now, in this episode, I have a number of things coming up for you. We're going to be talking about native browser support for CSS grids. This is new functionality that is making its way through the W3C and could be, most likely will become default functionality in browsers in the future. And so I'm going to talk about exactly what it is, a little bit about how to use it and why this is something that you should start learning now. So you definitely want to stick around for that. That's coming up in the first segment. Second segment, we're going to get into long-term thinking and patience. And I'm, I'm really going to take you inside of my thinking and really what is the center of the core of all of this decision-making that I do. If you only listen to one segment of this podcast or this episode, let that be the one. In the tech section, I'm going to get into getting started with web development. Again, a question I get asked constantly. I 
cover this periodically in the podcast. If you listen for a while, you probably know it comes up every so often, and it's just because I get asked it so much. So I'm going to cover that again. And of course, my ideas and thoughts on of it on it tend to evolve and grow as time goes on. In the freelance section, then we're going to get into a... So I'm working on a freelance course, I think, and I'll talk about this in a minute, but I think it's going to be a Patreon-only course. And I've written the first lesson in that course, and the, and the name of that lesson is Niche Down to Niche Up. And so in the freelance section, I'm going to be actually going through that lesson. So I'm actually going to be... Uh, going through the exact lesson that's going to be inside of that course. So if you're freelancing, you'll definitely want to stick around for that. And then as always, we have our weekly Q&A. Now, before I get into the segments, uh, just a couple announcements. First off, I uh, have been asked this a couple times now, and I finally did this. I set up a Patreon account. Now, if you're not familiar with Patreon, it is a site that lets you support the artists uh, that you enjoy and uh, allows you to kind of just be a patron, so to speak, of the arts. Now, <laughs> talking on a, a microphone, I mean, we could, I guess, debate how how much of an artist <laughs> someone is for that. But, uh, you know, I think there's a certain art to it. But I've set up an account over there on Patreon. If you're someone who would like to support the show, you know, it's support from people like you that keep the show going. Um, and so I've set up that account for you to be able to do that. Again, I had some people had asked me to do that, and I've done it. I also set up some exclusive things over there that you can get for different support levels over there. So let me just run through those real quick. I don't want to take too much time with this. But uh, first off, if you pledge a dollar over there, then you're going to get access to my Patreon-only feed. And so this is a feed that only people who um, are supporting at, at least a dollar a month over on Patreon will get access to and be able to interact in a more exclusive type group over there. So if you want to get access and be able to, you know, ask questions and so forth over there, then you can do that over on Patreon. Uh, those who pledge $3 a month then are going to get prior priority access to my Q&A. So again, if you've listen, been listening to the show for a while, you know that I do a Q&A every week. I take those from YouTube, Twitter, and so forth. But with this new Patreon account, if you pledge at least $3 a month over there, then you will get priority access and I will answer those questions over there first. My guess is as this grows, it'll get to a point where I'll basically be uh, primarily be answering questions from Patreon because I'll get enough of them from there each week that those will be the ones that I use. So if you want to be able to ask me questions in the future, then... Uh, you'll want to head over to Patreon and pledge $3 a month over there. Next level is $5 a month. So at this level, then you get access to all my source code. So a lot of my source code is available for free. You know, it's available on GitHub. It's available on my site. But I do have source code that is uh, available at a cost over on BitTorrent and so forth. And a lot of the source code that I have is kind of spread out all over the place. Um with this access level, you get access to all of that source code, even the paid source code, and it's all in one place right there for you to access. So that's $5 a month. And then at the $10 a month level, I'm going to be uh, periodically creating courses that are going to be Patreon only. And so I'm actually working 
Uh, I mentioned this. I'm working on a freelance course that's going to be a Patreon-only course that will release over there. I've already put my uh, a course I released uh, a while back, which is my Lightning Responsive course, which I released for a short time and I haven't released anywhere else. I'm going to be putting that on Patreon at the $10 a month level, so if that's something you want access to. Now, again, these are just rewards. Ultimately, you know, you should only really go over there and support if you want to support the show and, and me being able to do these weekly podcasts, I'd really like to maybe turn these up and do them every day and so forth. And there's a couple goals over there that if we reach, I'm going to do that. So if you'd, you'd again, like to support the show, you know, it's people like you that keep it running and keep it free for, you know, I've noticed I get a lot of people from different parts of the world where if I were to do like a, say, Udemy course or something like that, you know, even 10 or $20 is out of reach for those people. and they they get a lot of value because of that out of the YouTube videos that I do for free. So, you know, if you're if you're someone who's in a position where you can afford that, you can actually help out not only me but those people, um, which allows me to keep all of the tutorials and videos that I'm doing available for free as best I can. So, anyway, over on Patreon, you can go to johnmorrisonline.com/slash/patreon p-a-t-r-e-o-n to learn more. All right, if you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe to the show. You can do that on iTunes at johnmorrisonline.com slash iTunes over on SoundCloud on your Android device at johnmorrisonline.com slash SoundCloud and on YouTube at johnmorrisonline.com slash YouTube. All right, coming up next, we're going to get into native browser support for CSS grids. You're listening to John Morris Show, johnmorrisonline.com. Hey, everybody. As you probably know, I constantly harp on using content to help you grow your audience and build your credibility as a web developer, but your web presence is nothing without a great hosting provider. So if you haven't yet, get your website up and running with a fast, reliable, and well-supported web host, Bluehost, for less than six bucks a month. You can check it out and get Bluehost's best price over at johnmorrisonline.com bluehost. Welcome back to the John Morris Show, johnmorrisonline.com. This segment, we're going to get into native browser support for CSS Grid. So this was actually a post that I belong to the Advanced WordPress Facebook group. And someone had posted this in there and it kind of caught my eye. And so I they, I clicked over to the article and it was a LinkedIn article. And I'll link to it on the show notes page for this episode. It's johnmorrisonline.com slash 66. I'll link you to the exact article I read. but it was talking about uh, native browser support for CSS grids. And that really caught my attention. And so I want to get into why. But first, let me let me talk about what this is. So the way this works and, and what they're building is it, it makes it so that you can create a container. So you can create a containing div or section or whatever. And you can set the display property. So normally, you know, you have display uh, block, you have display none, etc. Here, you can set it to display grid. And so, again, this is new functionality that browsers, that's making its way through W3C. And when you do that, when you set that container element to display grid, the browser will treat all the immediate descendants as individual grid elements to be placed in available cells in the grid. So essentially it's going to take all the immediate children of that container and turn them into grid items. 
and treat them as grid items. And when you do that, by default, it will automatically place those items top left to bottom right as you would expect based on your markup order. So it makes, I mean, you look at it, you can essentially, instead of having to learn a framework like Bootstrap and learn the markup and so forth, you can actually just create a container with display grid and and all the, you know, if you put child div elements inside of it, they're going to automatically display as a grid. Now, obviously with this, there's going to be a lot of additional properties because there's lots of different ways that grids are formatted and so forth. Now, some of the examples that I think are some of the basic ones that you'll want to learn are grid template rows and grid template columns. And so, for example, with grid template columns, you can set that to 100 pixels, 10 pixels, 100 pixels, just like you would with, like, say, margin, for example, how it's, you know, 10, 15, 10, 7, or something like that. You can set it to, again, for example, 100 pixels, 10 pixels, 100 pixels, and that would create a three-column grid with the width of those three columns at 100 pixels, 10 pixels, and 100 pixels, respectively. Now that is pretty cool. And it also, along, along with it, comes with a custom measurement unit, which allows you to be more, um, uh, it's more elastic, essentially. Now, I don't want to get into a whole lot of the details of this yet, because, again, this is, it's making its way through W3C, and there's a good chance that some of this can change. And so I don't want to, you know, I don't want to dive too far into it. Plus, I'm probably going to do a tutorial on this once it gets a little bit further along and we have a better idea of exactly how it's going to, what the standard is going to be. But I want to give you a little bit to give you an idea of, of what they're trying to do here. And so along with all that, there's a whole lot of, there's a whole set of advanced properties that let you create very, very complex grid layouts but do it very very simply and the and those grid layouts be you know perfectly and natively responsive so it makes creating using a responsive grid which is something i've talked a lot about before and in, in tutorial i mean i have a whole responsive web design tutorial you know, a playlist on my channel that's all about I mean, a big chunk of it's about creating responsive grids. This is going to build it right into CSS, right into be, be default functionality in the browser. So this is a big deal. Now, like I said, as of today, it's still a candidate recommendation in the W3C, and there's not a ton of support uh, by the browsers yet. Um, it started out in, it was supported in IE10. It was This was Microsoft's idea. It started out in IE10, was supported by IE10, IE11, but I guess the markup's a little bit different. So um, you can't really use this, the markup that's going through the W3C and will probably end up being the markup you use. You can't use it with uh, Internet Explorer and and Edge, but um, that's kind of where it came from. But it is, there is support in Chrome and Firefox. You just have to turn on experimental features and each one of those in Chrome and Firefox is a little bit different. You'll have to check that out a little bit. But if you enable those experimental features, you'll be able to kind of test this out and play with it. So th now 
again, the reason I bring this up is because this is a this is a big in my mind this is a big deal because with the popularity of grid based frameworks like Bootstrap and all the others that are out there, it seems to me and. You know, feel free, someone feel free to comment and tell me why I'm wrong. I mean, if you disagree, I'd love to hear your opinion because I, I, I just heard about this a couple of days ago. But it seems to me that it's fairly likely that this is going to make its way into native support. And that's a big deal because that would cause a fairly big shakeup in the way web design, web development is done because a lot of the core appeal of frameworks like bootstrap and the other ones that are out there are their mobile responsiveness i mean that was initially that was the idea now they have a lot of other things that come with them and so i don't think that those things are just going to go by the wayside but you know there's a good chance that those things are going to be forced to adapt to this this becomes a web standard in browsers that supports grid it grids it wouldn't make any sense for those frameworks to build on top of that, and there would be a lot of pressure on them to change. So even if you're using something like Bootstrap for your mobile responsiveness, there's a good chance you're going to have to learn how to do this. So, if again, me looking at it, this will almost certainly become the default way to build responsive grids, which means this is something that you're going to need to learn eventually. and something that you have an opportunity to get ahead of the curve on, which is what I always want to try and point out in this trend section, things to help you get ahead of the curve. So you don't know, look, I know, I know how it is. I'm a web developer too. I feel the same way. There's so many new things. So technology is advancing so quickly. You always feel like you're behind the curve, right? That's how I feel. I always feel like I'm missing something. So I want to try and give you things to help you keep ahead of it. And this is one of those things. And I think this is an important one because, again, tell me why I'm wrong, but it seems to me that this is a big deal and it's going to be something that's very likely to to make it all the way through and become uh, default in browsers. So it seems, again, fairly likely we're going to have to learn how to do this. So this is something that I strongly suggest you start learning now so you're not stuck catching up. And as I mentioned earlier, I'm going to be working on doing a tutorial at some point as this advances a little bit more and we have a little bit more idea of what exactly it's ultimately going to look like. I mean, they have the standard there, but is it going to stay like that? So forth. These things can change as they move through and so forth. So I'm going to do a tutorial on it as that happens. But I've also, over on the show notes page for this episode, johnmorrisonline.com slash 66, I've linked to a number of different resources. You know, they're a little bit scarce at this point because this is fairly new. But there are some resources out there. I'm going to link to those over on the show notes page for you to help start looking at it, start getting an idea of how it works. And I would imagine the changes that would happen as this goes through or be primarily semantic so maybe changing the name the the a property name or a value name or adding some functionality and so forth and maybe even some d- behavior there i think there's some one of the reasons why it's not further along is there's some back and forth between the browsers about exactly how to to render 
think with margins and paddings and so forth. And so they're working some of that out. And so some of that will change, but at least you can get a, get, get a start on it and have an idea of what it is so that as it becomes more and more, um, supported and set in stone, you don't have to learn the whole thing. You just have to tweak what you know a little bit. All right. So I'm going to link to those resources over on johnmorrisonline.com slash 66. But I highly recommend starting to look into this and getting ahead of the curve so when this happens, you're already set to go and you can continue on doing what you're doing and maybe even have a little bit of an advantage when it comes to the competitive marketplace of web development. All right, coming up next, we're going to get into our mindset section. I'm going to be talking about long-term thinking and patience. And this is really the center of all of my decision-making and hopefully give you a good framework for making decisions about your career and your business that lead to better results as time goes on, helps get rid of some of the short-term thinking that can be so, so dangerous that really hurt me. And I'm going to be talking about the hard lessons I learned that that taught me this and why this is the approach that I take. So you definitely want to stick around for that segment. You're listening to John Morris Show, johnmorrisonline.com. Today's episode is brought to you by the Complete Web Developer Course by Rob Percival on udemy.com, where you can learn HTML, CSS, JavaScript, PHP, MySQL, WordPress, mobile apps, and more inside one convenient course so you can shortcut the time it takes to start earning your full-time income as a web developer. John Morris Show listeners can get an exclusive 85% discount on the course by visiting johnmorrisonline.com slash cwdc. That's johnmorrisonline.com slash cwdc. Welcome back to the John Morris Show, johnmorrisonline.com. I want to talk about long-term thinking and patience. And this is something, if there's one thing that kind of drives everything that I do and all the thinking and how I decide and make decisions about what I'm going to do in my career, in my business, in my life, etc., it would be this. And so I always try to think of the long term in everything that I do. In, in any decision I'm making, in any project I take on, I always ask myself, what's this going to mean or what's it going to become in five years, 10 years, and so on? And I want to talk about this because I think it's the only good way to really grow a business or a career, really even your life. And so here's why. Now, I want to be upfront with you here. Most of the episodes I do with the show, uh, I have copious notes that I write down, things that I want to talk about, and I use those as I go through the different segments. But in this particular segment, I'm going, in this show, I'm going off the notes a little bit. And the reason why is because I really want to try and draw this out for you, and I don't want to be tied to the notes, because I've talked about this quite a bit with people that I know, my little brother, my family, other developers I know, and so forth. And it always, uh, to me, it always seems to come out better when I'm not going off of something prepared. So just bear with me a little bit here as we get into this. But again, I think this is something that is vastly, vastly overrated. The importance of long-term thinking and having the patience to be able to implement it. 
And so when I think about this, the things that kind of come up for me is I think, you know, one of the big ones that comes up for me is my YouTube channel. So right now I have 20, about 25,000 subscribers on my YouTube channel. I get about 130,000 plus views per month of the videos that I have on there. And I spend a lot of time thinking about what I can do to grow that channel. That's obviously a goal of mine because it's a big part of everything that I do. And, you know, anybody, it doesn't have to be a YouTube channel. It could really be anything that you're you're wanting to accomplish in your business, your career, so forth. It could be your skill set. You know, it could be uh, if you're into online business, it could be your website traffic. It could be your revenue. It could be your mailing list, etc. All these different things. But for me, a lot of the thinking that I do goes around my YouTube channel. and. At first, when I started my YouTube channel, I was a really short-term thinker. And what I mean by that is I would post a video and if I didn't, I was always trying to go viral. <laughs> and I was, it was kind of stupid when I think about it now. I was trying to go viral with coding videos. Now, if there's something in this world that is just 100% immune to going viral, I would say coding videos is a pretty good candidate. That's probably not something that you're going to get a ton of people to share and pass around and so forth. Yet, that was always my mindset at the time. And if I didn't get a bunch of views of a video within a day or two, then I would consider it a failure. And, you know, I would I was really frustrated about my channel at that time because I was really wanting to get on YouTube. And, and this was many, many, many years ago. I mean, this was probably almost a decade ago. And... So I'd get really frustrated and then I would go back to the drawing board. And eventually, obviously, that didn't work out uh, because it was just a flawed idea from the start. And I I kind of gave up and let my YouTube channel sit. And then something happened that really is the first thing that taught me this lesson about long-term thinking. And what happened was I didn't pay attention to my YouTube channel at all. I didn't promote it all. I didn't do anything with all. I didn't even really log into it for probably two years, did nothing with it. And I started noticing that in my email, I was getting a few more comments on the videos that I posted. Now, I wasn't responding to these. I still wasn't looking through, but I had noticed that it seemed like I was getting a few more. And so one day I decided to log back in there and I logged back in and lo and behold, those videos, those initial videos that I had created had started to pick up a decent amount of traffic and I was starting to get a decent number of views. Now, a decent number of views back then for me was about probably a thousand a month. And I was like, okay, something's going on here. Well, dug into it, figured out that they had basically been indexed in search engines and they were showing up in different YouTube and Google searches. And that's where the traffic was starting to come from. And it was kind of a light bulb moment for me because I realized, okay, you know, if I create something that I can create something where I target certain searches, which to me are really markets, because these are people, groups of people who are looking for a solution to a particular problem, and they're using certain search terms when they go into Google to find it. So there's this market out there, and I can create videos to to serve these different markets. And if I create good videos and I, you know, I, I, I title them well and I describe them well and so forth, then over the long term, 
I can maybe start to pick up and, and get more views and so forth. And so I, I went on this this approach of that's what I was going to do. I started creating videos that serve different uh, markets and I didn't worry about how many views I got in the first day or month or whatever. I focused mainly on creating a good video that people like so they would like it, they would share it and eventually get picked up by search engines. And that's the approach that I've really, I really took all the way up until I would say about the middle of last year, really when I started, I don't even think it was the middle of last year, probably the end of last year, really when I started doing this podcast on a regular weekly basis. And that approach, that long-term mindset grew my channel from about a thousand viewers a month to over a hundred thousand viewers a month. Now I've switched because I now have a fairly large audience. And so I've kind of taken the, the, the mindset of instead of growing my audience, I obviously still want to grow it, but getting more into serving the audience that I have. And I think for me for right now, this podcast is the best way for me to do that. So I have plenty of videos out there that are bringing me in new traffic and I've learned some other ways to bring in new subscribers and so forth. And I'm <laughs> the number of subscribers I get each month is continuing to grow and so forth. So I'm not worried about growth. I really want to focus now in on serving the audience that I have. But that taught me the lesson of long-term thinking. Because what I always went back to is, what if I had stuck with it? Those two years when I didn't upload anything, or however long exactly it was, it was a while. What if I had stayed with it and continued to upload videos? What if I had known that mindset from the start? How many more videos would I have had? How quicker would it have grown? How much further along would I be now? And this was a this was a very big lesson for me because this is something that I had done time and time again in online business, in web development. I had I would start something, I wouldn't see immediate results, I'd give up on it and I'd try something else. And that's what I was. I was a starter. I would just start things, but I'd never finish anything. I'd never stick with anything. And this was the first thing that had happened to me where I started something, gave up on it, and it took off on its own and taught me the hard lesson of what if I had stuck with it. And so now that's the approach that I take. Everything that I, my YouTube channel, all the thinking that I do on it is I don't really look at how many views I get for example, when I post a video, when I post this podcast, I'm not going to look at how many views I get in the next month, really. I mean, I'll look at them, but that's not my concern. I want to see what's going to happen in the next year, in the next two years, in the next five years. Where's this going to be at in the next 10 years? How big's my channel going to be in the next 10 years? How big of a mailing list I'm going to have? Where's my revenue going to be at in five years, in 10 years? Now, I can do that because I'm a little bit younger. I'm 34, about to be 35, and I have some time before I would get to the point where I'd want to maybe quote-unquote retire. So if I can build a YouTube channel, a mailing list, and a business that allows me to retire just by doing that, by the time I'm, you know, 50 or 40, you know, I just think of, in the last two years, my channel's gone from about 13,000 views a month to over I'm now over 130,000 in about 2 years. So I think about where could that be if I continue even a semi similar pace? 
where could that be in five years or ten years from now? And it's pretty it's pretty crazy to think about where where that could end up. So that long term thinking is what I want to try to convince you of that that's the approach to take when it comes to your career. If you're starting a freelance business with this, if you're getting into you're going to build apps or or uh, you know web apps or phone apps or uh, any of that stuff, and you want to start a business around that, or, or if you're just getting into a career, you're going to start working for someone. A lot of the people that I talk to through this podcast are still fairly young, and I see a lot of you getting caught up in, you know, very short-term thinking. I'm not getting results right now. And I know that can be frustrating because, you know, for a lot of people, you're trying to make this your livelihood. You have to think about the here and now to a certain point. You can't avoid it. However, what, I, what, what we don't want to let happen is we don't want to let the short-term realities undermine our long-term goals. Because if you stick with it long-term, you know, there, I, I've done a lot of different things in web development. I know a lot of different people. If you stick with it long term, if you fight through the difficulties now, it's going to happen. There's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing different about you than all the, the other developers out there that is, you know, character-wise and in, in who you are naturally that makes it any more difficult or different for you. You know, you can do it. And all it takes is that patience. You got to be patient. Now, that's why I often recommend people who are getting into web development. I don't recommend that you, if you know, if you have a job now that's paying your bills and keeping you, you know, sustaining you and so forth. I don't recommend that you quit and dive into this. I did that a number of times, and you know, there's some argument to be made there that it can motivate you. But I was already motivated. I didn't need the motivation and all the all doing the the quitting did was make me think even more short term and, and cause a lot of problems. So if you know that you're that kind of person, well, keep doing what you're doing, but learn this on the side, master this on the side and start picking up clients on the side or, you know, that's why this is why I recommend freelancing so much is because it's something you can do on the side of what you're already doing until you get to a point where you have that confidence and really the client base to where you can say, look, I can either start taking on clients full-time or I have an idea for a really good app that I know will kill based off my experience and you can go for that. Or you can say, look, I, I'm comfortable doing this. I can go now apply at a job doing this for a company and I have the experience with clients. I have the, the technical experience and I'm not in a situation where I have to get the job. I can apply at you know really good jobs because I already have one that's sustaining me now. So there's things that you can do to help you out in terms of having that patience. But at the end of the day, um, it's something that you know you have to cultivate in yourself and work on to have that patience to stick things through and stick things out and be persistent. So what I what I really want you to do as a result of this, hopefully I <laughs> laid that out uh, in a easy to understand way for you in a convincing way. But I want you to start thinking of all of your goals in terms of five and ten years blocks. For example, you know, and this will this is a little personal for me, but I have a goal to retire by forty, so I'm thirty four. 
about to be 35. So I have about five years left. Now, if I don't meet that goal, okay. But, and my, my retire by 40 is a little bit different than probably a lot of people's. A lot of people, when they think of retire by 40, they think of, you know, they have a couple million dollars in the bank. They're living on the interest and so forth. Mine's a little bit different because it's more in terms of retiring would be me doing this podcast on a weekly basis and that probably be about it. Right. So, uh, it's a little bit different, but that, that's my goal is to grow this to the point where I can just do this full time, you know, by the time I'm 40 years old, because I love doing this. This doesn't seem like work to me at all. Uh, and for those of you who don't know, I, you know, I still do freelance work on the side of doing the, the, the YouTube and, and so forth. So my goal is to not have to do that freelance work and so forth by the time I'm 40 and just be able to, to, to run this podcast and this channel and, and really serve you guys. But that's the way that I think about it is in terms of the next five years, the next 10 years, where things are going to be. And the other thing I want you to do is really work on having patience. And there's ways that you can do this outside of just your career. So one of the ways that I do this is anytime I want to buy something, I make myself wait. Not because, you know, I can't afford it or I don't, um, you know, I don't know that it's something that I'm unsure if I want it or not. I'm talking about when I know I want something, I can afford it, and I just, I could easily just go get it. I still make myself wait. And, you know, a lot of times it'll be a couple weeks, a month, whatever, just to work on my patience, just to work on when I want something, not having to have that immediate gratification, but being able to, you know, think about it and hold it there for an amount of time. You know, eventually it'll get to me and I'll, I'll I'll go get it. But each time I do it, I'm able to be more and more patient. In fact, I just recently purchased some stuff for my office. I converted into a stand-up desk and so forth. And I mean, it's probably been over a year, maybe a year and a half that I've been considering doing this, but I've been making myself wait. Part of it was to make sure it was sure I wanted to do and, and kind of changing my space in my house. I needed to do some of that to be able to make it work, but there's something that I've wanted to do now for quite a while and I've made myself wait. And, you know, that just helps me overall in terms of of my patience with things. So that's something that I want you to work on. And then, the last thing is just always be sure to analyze the choices that you're making in terms of long-term scenarios. This is this is probably the for someone who's having a difficult time with this, this is probably the most important thing. The example I think of is I see people all the time and I work with a lot of local businesses, so this this you probably may have heard this yourself too. When they hire you what they say is they're like, "Oh, you know, build a business and or build a website and so forth." And then I want you to um I want you to have me rank number one on Google for this search. I just want, you know, get me to rank number one on Google there. (laughs) I always chuckle because I'm like, look, if it were that easy, right? If it were that easy, if I could just say, like, I could be a quadrillionaire, right? So, you know, and they just don't understand. But it always makes me chuckle because what happens is, and I've seen this a lot, and you, you may have heard these stories as well. When it comes to search engine rankings, it's a really good example because people will do things 
in the short term to try and get a higher ranking that is just it's if you put it in the context of the next 5 to 10 years it's absolutely clear it's 100% that Google's going to figure it out and your site and your if you have a business based around it is going to tank because of it and i see this all the time of of people doing just dumb dumb things in the short term to get rankings like you know spamming links out there or you know they're trying to over optimize their site or they try to buy a bunch of incoming links from other sites and so forth that you know it's gonna it's just a matter of time before Google figures it out and that your site suffers and if you build your entire business around that something you know isn't gonna make it the next five or ten years, then you're gonna be right back where you started in whenever that happens and so when you take that and you take any one of those ideas and you put them in the context of the next five or 10 years, it becomes a really, really easy decision not to do that kind of stuff. In fact, for me, when I do SEO, I focus more on trying not to do too much than not doing enough. Because I would rather have maybe a little bit less ranking overall and never get slapped than to have a little bit higher ranking now and get slapped a year from now. I put too much work and effort into what I'm doing to 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 risk that. And so again, that's that's the idea that I'd like for you to take on and what I'd like for you to start doing is all the choices that you have to make when it comes to your career, your business, your life, really, just ask yourself, well, what would this mean in the next five years or the next 10 years? What would this become in the next five or 10 years? Now, that doesn't mean it's going to change your decision, but it's going to give you a little bit different perspective. And that perspective is going to help you make better choices. All right, coming up next, we're going to get into our tech section. You're listening to John Morris Show on johnmorrisonline.com. So I just realized something. I'm always harping on how important creating blog content is for getting new clients to your web design business. But what if you don't have a blog and you're not sure how to get one set up? Well, don't worry because I've just created a new tutorial on how to start your blog in less than 15 minutes. So in less than 15 minutes from now, you could have your blog up and running and creating content that's going to help you attract new clients for your web design business. In order to take this tutorial, you want to head on over to johnsbloggingtutorial.com. Again, that's johnsbloggingtutorial.com. Head on over and let's get your blog started today. Welcome back to the John Morris Show and johnmorrisonline.com. In this segment, I'm going to be talking about getting started with web development. And this is something that I get asked regularly. And I've answered probably a few times before, but I want to go back through it because I get asked it so often. And the, the, the idea here is a lot of people ask, they're just frustrated because they're getting into web development for the first time. And there's all these different things that they can learn. And it can be difficult to figure out what is it that I need to learn first, second, third, fourth, etc. Now, 
Before I get into what I'm going to talk about today, I always preface this with a couple things. First off, and I'm going to actually be talking about this in the next segment, the freelance segment, but it's important to, before you, look, there's a thousand things that you could learn when it comes to web development. And so if you just take them, you know, if you just start with, put them in some sort of linear order that has no rhyme or reason to it and start learning them, it's going to take you forever to get to a point where you can actually do this for a living, which I think is the, that's what everybody wants to get to, right? You know, everybody wants to be doing this for a living. Now, again, having gone through that process, learned a lot of hard lessons, the most important thing that you can do is filter those skills. So if there's a thousand skills you could learn, you want to hone that down to 30 that you need to learn in order to start earning an income. And then you can, as your career progresses, add on those other thousand skills so that you become a more rounded developer. But the most important thing for you to do first is get to a point where you can earn your living doing this. And that depends very, very heavily on a couple factors. The first one is, what do you like to do? Now, this sounds like the typical kind of cliche self-help stuff, but it's absolutely important because you will find when you first start out doing web design and web development that the learning part of it is really exciting. When you start learning how to do things with the internet and make things happen, it's really, really exciting and that'll drive you for a while. That can drive you through all the way through your learning process, really. But when you get to the point later when you're actually earning an income doing it, you're going to find out that there's things you hate doing. And if you've invested all of your time and energy and your money even maybe into that one thing, that can be very, very disheartening. And I, I, again, I learned this the hard way. So I want to help you avoid that. And the way that you avoid that is by figuring out what you like to do first. Now, again, that's difficult because you got to do it, right? So what I recommend that you do, the first thing that you should do is you should start dabbling. You shouldn't think, oh, I got to learn HTML, CSS, jQuery, or JavaScript, PHP, like in a linear order. That's not the way it works, or that's not the way I recommend that you do it. I recommend you dabble in each. Mess with some HTML, mess with some CSS, mess with some JavaScript, some PHP, some MySQL, some iOS app stuff, etc., and get a feel for what you actually like doing. Now, all of it's going to be a little bit exciting, but keep doing, if you if you like, okay, I like this thing, keep doing that over and over and over and over again to the point where it's it's kind of boring and see if you still like it because that's going to give you some insight if you really enjoy doing that particular thing. So you got to dabble a little bit. And you're not going to know those languages. I mean, most people would tell you you got to learn HTML and CSS before you can do JavaScript and PHP and MySQL. And there's some truth to that. But, you know, if you find that you really love PHP and you dig into PHP, I mean, I, <laughs> I work with developers, and I don't mean to call them out, but I work with developers who are geniuses when it comes to PHP and MySQL on the back end. Literally, they they are amazing. 
and at the same time are probably about three to four years behind the curve when it comes to HTML and CSS and all of the new new stuff that we're working with these days. Like I have to tell them not to use tables. Now, <laughs> you know, so my point is, is that you can, if you like something, you can pursue that and go deep with that without necessarily having to know everything about all the other things. You got to know some basic stuff, but you know, you can, you can get along pretty well. So find what you like to do. And then second, something that you are good at. So you have to find things that you kind of have a natural talent for. You know, I got into web design development through PHP mainly, but I found over the years that I prefer more of the design and the graphic design and so forth. And so I've rotated my career a little bit to be angled more towards that. So, and, and it's something that I'm probably a little bit more talented at. I mean, I'm nowhere near as good as these guys I'm talking about who are just geniuses when it comes to PHP. I'm a little better at the design side. And they actually, these same guys who I'm in awe of when it comes to PHP and MySQL and all that, these same guys come to me and ask me questions when it comes to things like CSS and, you know, jQuery and, so, and, and HTML and so forth. So that's where my talent lies. And that's the second thing that you got to figure out. From there, the fastest way for you to learn is for you to start building things. And I say this all the time. There's, if there's two things that you can do to make your learning curve as fast as possible, start working on real projects and find a mentor. Now, that second one can be a little bit difficult, but you can code mentor is a really good place that you can go. You have to pay for it, but most mentors you're going to have to pay for a little bit. Or you can take courses, paid courses, like I recommend on Udemy all the time, and use the other people and the instructor in those courses as kind of a little bit of a mentor as well. But building real projects, that's why I tell people to, the first thing, they sh you should try and get clients as fast as you can. You're going to make mistakes anyway, so you might as well get those out of the way. And working on real projects is going to help you learn much, much faster. In fact, Michael Phoenix, who I've had on the show a couple times, that's what I did with him. That's why he's progressed as fast as he is, in my opinion. You know, going from basically broke to now over a six-figure income at one of the uh, nation's fastest growing tech companies because I made him work on real projects. He did not want to do it, but I made him do it. And he learned how to work with clients and so forth. And that's a lot of what he does now. So work on real projects and find a mentor. Now, uh, that all out of the way, you know, I can run through the kind of typical process that people go through when they're learning this. Before you start, you want to first make sure you have your tool set set up correctly. And that's really what I want to cover here. Now, I think you've probably seen people say, the typical path is learn HTML and CSS first, learn JavaScript, jQuery, then learn PHP and MySQL, and then go off into everything else like Node and WordPress and so forth. Absolutely recommend, you know, if you want to follow a linear path to do that. And generally speaking, you can go along that path, keeping in mind everything that we just talked about. But getting your tools set up correctly, getting your space set up correctly is another big one. So what I recommend 
is that you start with Chrome and there's a few kind of plugins that I would install. One is the web developer add-on or extension, the eyedropper extension, and then the mod header extension. And then also get familiar with Chrome's kind of, it's a built-in tool called Inspector. And I'll link to some tutorials and links to all this stuff over on the show notes page, johnmorrisonline.com slash 66. But you want to get that browser set up correctly with the right tools so that you can do all the things that you need to do. You're going to use the inspector for, you know, inspecting HTML elements, seeing what the CSS is, seeing what the HTML layout is. The eyedropper, I think, is self-explanatory. Web developers kind of a broad kind of um, extension that does a number of things. Mod header is for looking at the headers of a web page. Some of that may not make sense now, but as you go, that that that's is going to make a little more sense. So get your browser set up. Then the next thing is decide on your ideal uh, development environment. Now, for most situations, you're going to need, at a minimum, uh, a text editor, some sort of virtual machine, and an FTP client. Now, you know, you may have heard of some of the text editors like Text Wrangler, Notepad. You can use Notepad++. Um, and Sublime Text. There's a whole lot more now. I use Nitrous Pro, which is a paid cloud one. Um, there's a lot of them out there uh, that you can use. So it, it really comes down to what you're comfortable with. For a virtual machine, you have VirtualBox and VMware. I mean, I use VirtualBox. VMware is a paid one. VirtualBox is free. And VirtualBox is great. It's very sufficient for what you need. So those are the ones that I'd recommend there. Uh, FileZilla. It's probably the most popular FTP client. Uh, I really don't have a recommendation other than that because that's the one I use and have used for years. As far as IDEs, which are integrated development environments. Now, you know, one of the things that you could need, you know, you could replace the the um, virtual machine with so that you can, instead of developing inside of there, you can do it right on your regular computer as a... a a tool like Zamp or WAMP server. So to explain those just a little bit, in order to run PHP files, you have to have PHP installed, and that's usually typically on some sort of remote server that works in conjunction with Apache and um, and MySQL and so forth. So in order to process those files, you need that server. Now, the virtual machine can do that for you if you install, say, Ubuntu into it, um, Ubuntu server into it, or you can use something like XAMPP or WAMP server, which will emulate basically, not really emulate, but create a virtual kind of virtual server on your local machine. So uh, you can use those as well uh, if you prefer. And then the other option then is what are called IDEs. They're integrated development environments. So NetBeans, Eclipse, PHP Storm. Uh, I use Nitrous Pro. There's a number of them out there, but what they are is they're basically all of it in one. So you have, so for example, with Nitrous Pro, which is the one I've been using quite a, for a while now, so I'm more familiar with it, but it's got the text editor and it has a lot of features that maybe some other text editors wouldn't have, like code highlighting and, and, and all that stuff. But it's also got, when you create a workspace, you can install a certain type of environment. So I can install... Ubuntu, or I could install, you know, a Windows environment, or I can install 
Now I can install a WordPress, like a preset WordPress install. So it can do all that, that for you. And you don't have to install all of that stuff individually. And it has the virtual server like built right into it. So I don't have to install ZAMP or WAMP server or any of that stuff. And then it has Git built into it so I can connect to a Git repository. So I use GitHub and I can connect to those repositories. So when I make changes on my local, I can push those to the uh, repository and, and have my versioning done that way and so forth. So the the IDE is kind of all packed into one. Now, if you don't want to, I use Nitrous because it's a cloud one. So I can develop on my desktop, go to my laptop, and it's the exact same environment. Any changes I made on my desktop automatically reflect on my laptop and and vice versa. So it's really cool. I really like it. If you don't mind spending a couple bucks a month, I would recommend it. Otherwise, well, NetBeans is one that's available for free. I think Eclipse and PHP Storm are ones that, that cost. But the, again, I, I haven't used those two, but people seem to like them. So. so now you've got your browser. Now you've got your IDE. The last thing that you want then is graphic design or mock-up software. Now, if you are someone who wants to get into the design part of it, think you want to do that, then I think it's worth getting Photoshop. I think I paid like 20 bucks a month for Photoshop, the the cloud version of Photoshop. And that's all I really need. I do everything I need to do inside of Photoshop. So worth the investment. I use it a ton and I can create whatever graphics I need inside of it. I It'd be hard for me to do what I do without it. So, you know, if you have that, if you can spend that and you think you want to get in the design side of things, it's definitely worth it. However, if you if you just want to have some mock-up capability, then something like GIMP is kind of a Photoshop competitor. Now, I don't care what anybody tells you. It's not anywhere close to the same or as good as Photoshop, but it's sufficient. So you can use it if you need to. And then a wireframing tool called Mockflow is one that works really well, really well and I would recommend. Uh, for wireframing. So if you don't want to get into the design necessarily, but you want to be able to create, say, mock-ups for clients so you can show them how you're going to lay stuff out and so forth, Mockflow is a really, really good to, uh, tool for that. All right, so that's some of my advice on getting started with web development. We'll go into this more in future episodes. Um, I could sit here for probably another hour or two talking about this, but I wanted to get a little bit going with it, and we'll continue this kind of series in the next episode. All right, coming up next, we're going to get into our freelance section. And I'm going to be talking about, this is this is a lesson from a course that I'm working on. And the name of the lesson is Niche Down to Niche Up. And this is easily the biggest mistake new freelancers make and probably the most overlooked thing that even intermediate, intermediate freelancers uh, kind of kind of make the mistake on. And I think this is the difference between someone who's new and struggling or even intermediate and someone who kind of blows it out of the water and becomes really, really advanced and does really, really well with freelancing is they they understand this concept, niching down to niche up. And this is a this isn't something, you know, necessarily unique or revolutionary that I came up with on my own. This is a sound business principle that I see freelancers simply, a lot of freelancers simply not doing. There's businesses every single day. And as soon as I show this to you, you're going to see it. You'll be able to start to look at businesses and see what they're doing. 
but it's used every single day to build really successful businesses. And I'm going to show you how to do that in your freelance career. You're listening to John Morris Show and johnmorrisonline.com. Here's another great resource for you, ZipTask. Have you ever wished you could just jump on live with a developer and talk to them face-to-face before hiring them? If you could, there's no doubt you'd know whether you wanted to hire them or not by the end of that conversation. But instead, most freelance sites make you wade through a mountain of resumes and profiles before you ever actually get to talk to someone. Not ZipTask. ZipTask is all about speed. You can instantly connect with developers on all their devices and immediately start chatting about your project. No mountain of resumes, no guesswork, just a real-life person waiting to help. Even better, every audio, video, and text communication is recorded so your developer is held 100% accountable. No he said, she said. Plus, ZipTask works with only the best developers and uses both state-of-the-art technology and real humans to find and surface the top developers so you always have the best developer for your project needs. So to start talking to a real qualified developer in the next few seconds, head on over to johnmorrisonline.com slash ziptask. That's Z-I-P-T-A-S-K to get started. Again, that's johnmorrisonline.com slash ziptask to start talking with a real live developer in the next few seconds. Welcome back to the John Morris Show and johnmorrisonline.com. All right, this segment we're going to be getting into. So this is a freelancing segment, and I'm this is a lesson from a course that I'm working on. It's a freelancing course, and right now I'm calling it the Developer's Guide to Freelancing. This is a course I'm going to be releasing only over on Patreon for the $10 a month level over there. I mentioned that at the beginning of the show, um, johnmorrisonline.com slash Patreon if you want to become a supporting listener and get access to all the goodies that are available over there. But I want to go through this lesson. I want to see, one, I think this is really important. I know this works, but I want to kind of see what you think and see if the way that I'm presenting this to you makes sense. All right, so the name of this lesson is Niche Down to Niche Up. And the official definition of a niche is the situation in which a business's products or services can succeed by being sold to a particular kind or group of people. And that definition will work for our purpose. So a niche is a market segment. For example, one familiar market is fitness. And within that market, you can have a number of market segments or niches. For example, weight loss, bodybuilding, CrossFit, Ironman, obstacle racing, and so on. A company serving a particular niche would create a limited set of very specific products that serve a very particular customer. And generally speaking, a company selling in the bodybuilding niche wouldn't sell products or target customers related to weight loss because that's not their people. And when starting almost any business, you should start by targeting a single niche. Now, why? One, you can focus on a specific product or service line and perfect your offerings, perfect the product or service. 
And instead of trying to do 10 at once, you can do that one very specific product for a specific group of people. Two, you can figure out how to market to a single set of similar customers. So again, instead of having to figure out all of the marketing mojo for a range of different people and customers and so forth, you can figure out a single set of all of the marketing things and materials that work and so forth for a very specific group of people. Much easier to do. And you can avoid direct competition with industry leaders. So for example, if you have an industry leader who has 10 product offerings, you can focus on one and oftentimes do that one better because it's the one thing that you do. And there's a whole lot of other really good reasons. Now, niching down limits the variables you have to consider in order to start generating revenue and helps you focus on making quality products and solid marketing. It's all about focus. It also makes it easier to beat out larger industry players who are serving several different niches and are likely not as focused on your niche as you as you are. And in some cases, they may not even be competing in that niche, all of which makes it easier to succeed. Now, here's the thing. Regular old brick and mortar or other online non-freelancer businesses do this every single day. This isn't a new or even revolutionary concept. But what does does seem to be unique is applying this idea to freelance web development. And you can do this. Go on any freelancing site. Look at the web developers on those sites. Most of what you're going to find, I've talked about this a lot before, But most of what you're going to find is a bunch of generalists, developers trying to serve every niche possible. And they'll say they're an expert in HTML, CSS, jQuery, and so forth, and that they can serve any web design or development need that you might have. That's really the typical pitch. Now, there's lots of reasons why this approach is terrible. First off, and I know this from experience, you're going to get all sorts of weird jobs thrown at you, many of which you're going to hate doing and not be very good at. So you're going to be doing things you hate that you're not good at. That's doesn't work out well in the end for anybody. You also likely make less money because generalists usually aren't valued as much. And you'll have a difficult time competing with other established developers. If you're new, this is especially important because you're going to have a hard time competing with those established developers, but you can beat them using this process. So the way to win is to niche down to niche up. The more focused a niche you can pick, the easier it will be for you to have success and actually enjoy what you do. For example, instead of marketing myself as a web developer, I market myself as a membership site builder and specifically someone who is an expert at building membership sites using WordPress and a plugin called Wishlist Member. Now at the time on Elance, which is now Upwork, there was nobody else serving only that market. And there was enough work in that market for me to get all the jobs I could ever want. So I was competing with no one in a very lucrative market. In that situation, I'd have to be pretty terrible not to succeed. And so doing this helped me outflank, quote unquote, the Elance algorithms that are designed, and I've talked about this before, They are designed to reward more established developers. And I could do this when I was first starting out. Then, and this is the key for the transition here, 
Then, as my job history, my ratings, my overall rank on Elance increased, and I became one of those established developers, I could then expand my offerings and now be able to compete with those people because I had built up my profile. So, you niche down so that you can niche up. And it's the exact strategy successful businesses have been using for years to enter markets and build a foundation while avoiding direct competition with major players until they reached a point where they felt that they were ready to compete. So, how do you discover your ideal niche? All right, so that's the end of kind of the lesson for the for for this first lesson in the course. In the actual course, I have an, uh, I kind of finish up by talking about there's a worksheet that's available to help you actually walk through discovering your ideal niche. That's going to be a part of the course as well. Um, so again, if you you know if this is something that you want to, it's not up on Patreon yet, but it, it's the first course. Uh, I already have my lightning responsive course up there, but the first new course that I'm going to put up there is going to be this course, and I'm working on it right. Now, so if you want to become a supporting listener and get access to this course once it's available, you can do that at johnmorrisonline.com slash Patreon and become a $10 a month supporter. All right. So again, niche up or niche down to niche up. Absolutely critical. I've talked about it before, but hopefully that gives you a better concept of exactly how to do it. All right. Coming up next, we are going to be getting into our... Q&A of the week. And I've got some good questions this week that you'll definitely want to stick around for. You're listening to John Morris Show, johnmorrisonline.com. John Morris here for the complete web developer course by Rob Percival on udemy.com. Now here's the deal with this. Do you ever get frustrated constantly searching the internet for tutorials to learn how to code? Are you worried that learning how to code is taking longer than it should? Do you just wish you could learn everything in one convenient place so you can get on with earning your living as a web developer? Well, that is exactly why Rob created the Complete Web Developer Course. Everything you need to know, HTML, CSS, JavaScript, jQuery, PHP, MySQL, WordPress, APIs, and mobile apps in one convenient course. And you know it works because Rob has over 183,000 students and the most five-star ratings of any course on Udemy. Now here's the best part. John Morris Show listeners can get an exclusive, and this is just for you guys only, an exclusive 85% discount on the course simply by visiting johnmorrisonline.com cwdc. So look. Quit pulling your hair out trying to find good tutorials on the web. Do the smart thing and hit up my man Rob's complete web developer course with the slick 85% discount right now. Visit johnmorrisonline.com slash cwdc and you'll be all set. Welcome back to the John Morris Show and johnmorrisonline.com. This segment we're going to get into our weekly Q&A and I have a couple questions from over on YouTube that I'm going to be diving into. Now, if you have a question for me, as I mentioned at the beginning of this segment, I just created a Patreon account. I'm going to be giving priority access to this Q&A for Patreon supporters of $3 a month or more. So here soon, 
again, to be able to get priority access, you want to make sure and become a supporter over there, johnmorrisonline.com slash Patreon. Until then, you can uh, shoot me an email, john at johnmorrisonline.com, on Twitter at jpmorris, or right on YouTube, johnmorrisonline.com slash YouTube. All right, let's get into these questions. The first one is from Andrew Karpinski, and this is in reference to a tutorial that I had done, I believe, on PHP forums. And it says, why did you echo the server variable PHP self and also revert, return the value of time? I thought echo outputs text. Is it somehow assigning the output text as a string to put inside a variable instead of being displayed on the screen? Couldn't you just delete the echo and have the same effect as it is already a stream? Okay, so I'm trying to parse through exactly this. I'm, I'm not looking at the code exactly what I did, but just kind of going off of my hunch, I'm assuming that this is in the form. So PHP self would pretty much almost have to be. So I assume this is a form that is submitting to itself and I use PHP self. Now you don't have to do that. I think it's, in fact, I think anymore, it's not even recommended that you do that. But what PHP self does is essentially output whatever page you're on. Or you're on. So the form is going to submit to itself. That, that's the idea. Now, you can just leave the form action blank. And uh, when you submit the form, it'll do that on its own. So that's probably a little bit redundant. <laughs> that comes from this being, um, you know, this is code that I wrote several years ago. And so, you know, there's things like this that happen. You could just leave that bank. As far as returning the value of time, um, again, uh, this to me sounds like an element in the form, uh, probably for security at the time. Um, you know, noncing is a better way to go at and a number used once is a better way to go about this. Now, you would probably still use the time in conjunction with that, but you would have a function on the back end somewhere that would do all the nonce work for you and create that nonce. Um, so I'm guessing I output, put time into a form of variable, uh, you know, back at, at that time, there was a reason for doing that. Um, and it was about creating a, probably created a nonce later on in the PHP script. You could, you could really probably just get rid of that. But uh, again, if you're asking why I did that, that's probably why usually when you create a nonce, you have the time comes into play there so that the nonce is essentially different for every request. And what this is, is just a security thing so that you know that the form was submitted, you know, when in your PHP processing script, you know that it came from a form that you are essentially is authorized to submit to that PHP script. And oftentimes the time is used in conjunction with that so that it's harder for someone to hack. Now, again, this probably wasn't the ideal way of doing it. You know, it's better to just have a nonce in the form and all of the stuff for creating that nonce be done in the back end. So, you know, again, uh, <laughs> chalk that up to being old code. Now it says, couldn't you just delete the echo and have the exact same f effect as it's already a string? And I'm not sure what you're referencing there is time or PHP self, but either one you would need to echo for it to output in HTML as a form variable. So hopefully that makes sense. 
All right, next one up. Okay, so this one's a little bit different. Um, you know, I get a lot of people who, you know, sometimes I get people who question, you know, especially some of the freelance stuff that I talk about, aren't sure, you know, if, if it's the way to go. And, you know, I have hired people over on Elance, but most of what I've done is developer work. And so sometimes it's good to hear from the other side, from the client side. And so I, I got this tweet. It's pretty short over on Twitter, but I I want to read it and then I'll talk about why I brought this. This isn't a question, but it's something I want to talk about. So it says, I'm a client who hires developers on Upwork all the time. And I'm about, I only caught the last 30 minutes of your podcast and everything that you said is spot on. Now, the reason I bring this up is because this is the biggest thing that I try to kind of convince developers of. I do have an insight into the client side of this. One, because I've hired people, but also because I've worked very, very heavily and closely with some of the clients that I've had for a number of years. And they're actually really good friends of mine. And we talk about this stuff all the time. And so I think I have a really good, it's more than just your regular freelance relationship. And I think I have a pretty good understanding of what's going on, what's going through their mind. And so I bring this up because what I, one of the things I want you to understand when it comes to advice I give you is that it's coming from the client's perspective. I always try to, to look at it from that perspective and give it to you from that perspective of what they're thinking and what they want. And that's really the mindset that you need to take on. And so, you know, it may seem a little different than what a lot of people say at first, but I would venture to guess if you ask most clients who've hired people over on a site like Upwork or Freelancer.com that they would you know, say that a lot of what I'm talking about is, is true for, for them. They, you know, like he said, it's spot on for what they're thinking and what they're feeling. And so, again, when you talk – I just want you to be careful when you talk to other developers – and other freelancers who give you freelance advice because oftentimes they're coming from their perspective, not the client's perspective. Both are valid, and you should probably listen to both, but specifically my advice when when you get it is coming from mostly the client perspective. So coming from someone who is a client, you know, and I've had several clients tell me this, you know, the things that I talk about are usually pretty accurate. All right. Next question is from Asdad Asdad. I'm assuming that's a keyboard. That's a uh, fake name, obviously. But uh, over on YouTube, and the question is essentially an error. So it's fail error, uncaught error, call to undefined function, MySQL connect. So I, I wanted to cover this one because again, I get a lot of this. I have tutorials that were created. You know, a lot of them were re- created or recorded six, seven years ago when PHP 4 was the standard and MySQL, you know, the regular MySQL was the default and, you know, they were uploaded to YouTube maybe a few years after that. Now everything is MySQL I and PDO. So you just want to, if you're getting an error like this, especially a call to an undefined function, it's something like MySQL Connect, 
you know, this is probably because PHP is just, you know, they've deprecated that functionality and it's no longer there. And that's just a fact of life when it comes to recording tutorials like this. Now I have a whole, the other reason I'm bringing this up is I have a whole playlist on YouTube that goes into MySQL and PDO. So it's not like I don't have that information out there. It's just, I have a bunch of older tutorials that have the old stuff. So if you go to johnmorrisonline.com slash YouTube, you look through the playlist, you'll see one that is, uh, I think it's along the lines of prepared statements, PDO, MySQL, I, and everything database. I think that's the name of it. Or, yeah, something like that. Anyway, it'll it'll be about the only one that's about MySQL, I, and PDO. Go through and take that, and you can essentially, all the regular MySQL code and any one of my tutorials, you can just swap out for the MySQL I code. And the rest of the tutorial is most likely still valid. It's really just a change in syntax. It's an important change because a lot of what's going on in there and, you know, the prepared statements part, you would probably want to use that as well. So it's not purely a syntax change, but the rest of the logic of the tutorial is probably still fairly accurate. And it's really just switching out that 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 code. So wanted to answer that. I get that asked quite a bit. All right, so that'll wrap it up for our Q&A this week. Also wrap it up for this episode. If you haven't yet, be sure to like this episode that, so that I know that you like this type of content. If you know somebody would benefit it, whether it's a person or a Facebook group or Google Plus community out there that would benefit from this, I would appreciate if you'd share it with them. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. If you have questions, you can send them to me, john at johnmorrisonline.com, Morris on Twitter, and johnmorrisonline.com slash YouTube. And here soon, as I mentioned, priority access, or here now, priority access over on Patreon at johnmorrisonline.com slash Patreon. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Hey, quick question for you. Are you running a WordPress site? If so, then I want to recommend to you the premium WordPress hosting service, WP Engine. Now, what makes WP Engine different than a lot of web hosts out there is that it's designed specifically for WordPress with advanced caching and security implementation to keep your WordPress website up and running and running as fast as possible. And we all know how important speed is on the web these days. So if you're running WordPress and you don't have WP Engine yet, be sure to give it a look. You can get their best price at johnmorrisonline.com slash WP Engine. Again, that's johnmorrisonline.com slash WP Engine, all one word. Check them out. You're going to love your WordPress hosting.